0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening to Sam Valentine, the host of This Guy Is Sick, and I am being joined today by John McMahon, aka xaea sixty nine. Sixty
1: nine, I like that. That's uh, it's a it's, little bit different than the um, than what uh, Mr. Musk actually named his kid, but I, I like the twist. Yeah. I'm John is Elon
2: Musk's. I was going to say, John is Elon Musk's lesser known child, like <laughs> the one that wasn't with grass. He, he's
0: he's he's known as um, really bad Musk. <laughs> and if you now haven't wait. noticed already, I am also being joined by Swiss family Dobinson.
2: I feel like we're just going to keep giving me a different nickname every single episode.
0: I have to. I have to try and work something in there, whether it's the Circumcised Saviour, uh, you know, anywhere I can call you Dobbo or Dobbins in any kind of weird way, that's what I'm going for.
2: It's not going to stick until it's cringe enough that people are going to be like,
0: yeah, yeah, that fits.
2: Like, they see me commentating the group and they're like, yeah, that's, that's not cringe enough for this guy. <laughs>
0: it, it, that's true. So, so... Today we we're going to have, have a little chat about uh, lockdown briefly because everyone's been on lockdown we've been on fucking quarantine um we've been we, you know it's been what two months or some shit now like that that we've all been living through this and I just want to I just want to say like you know uh, Derek you you've mentioned to me previously you've been watching a hell of a lot of lost is that correct
2: Yeah yeah I've so, been watching the whole thing um and also Playing the crap out of Seven R um, on my second playthrough right now.
0: Uh, second play play playthrough, you know, I haven't actually touched it since I finished it. I played a bit of hard mode, and then I wanted to sit back and like digest it, and then try and go into it again in a few months to see how I feel about it again. So, but we've all played Seven R. Something like you know, every single Final Fantasy fan should have played Seven R by now. If they haven't, they're then they're, they're liars. And they're That's fake right. fans. The fake they're fake, or, or they're poor and if you're poor i'm sorry but, i mean you know, i'm not going to knock you for being poor <laughs> that, that happens True. right you know sometimes sometimes you can't afford 7r because you've been spending your money on smack
1: right. right exactly well, yeah you have to have your priorities in line and smack happens to be the priority
0: of course every Look, time crystal meth anything is that's your priority
1: right well
2: if you're in the united states we all got sent checks and I don't care about feeding your kids or you got to pay the water bill. There is no excuse not to have played 7R at this point. You just got a $1,200 check, and you're telling me you can't give Mr. Namora 60 of your dollars to play this game?
0: they spent it all on pizza rolls. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and the other thing is I think you get – in the States, you get, you're eligible for $500 additionally per child that you have. And everybody has one child they don't like. So what are you doing, baby? Go ahead and get that first-class edition. Treat yourself.
2: I'm just imagining some guy that bought $1,200 worth of pizza rolls. He's just sitting in a chair
1: made out of pizza roll boxes. Like, yeah, but you know what? for this moment. You know what? That man is happy.
0: That's true. He's probably really happy. So, John, what have you been doing in lockdown? We know you've played 7R. You've probably been masturbating furiously. So, outside of those two things, what else have you been doing?
1: Um, Outside of that, fucking jack shit, dude. Looking at the group. um, Fucking watching videos on YouTube, little theory videos about, you know, like 7R or any, any video game or Sometimes I go on these little YouTube rabbit holes about like uh, unsolved mysteries and stuff like that. Really jack shit. Nothing productive, uh, nothing, nothing redeeming. Um, like you already mentioned the masturbating. So we got that underway. Uh, yeah.
0: So it's procrastination and masturbation.
1: Yes. Yeah, exactly.
0: So, so, you know, it, it surprises me that you haven't played anything else that you haven't thrown yourself into anything else that there's there's not another game that you've been like hey i'm gonna play this i'm gonna i'm gonna go for it i'm gonna i'm I'm gonna give this a go like literally it's just been jacking off
2: he's been telling me he's gonna play (laughs) dragon quest 11 for like three months and this man still hasn't the game came out in 2017 john
1: all right bro let's 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 take a chill pill over there okay i got a couple reasons why i've been hesitating it's been recommended to me many times but uh, I have my I have my reservations about it. First and foremost being the aesthetic, the cartoony kind of childish, like whimsical thing. Like, it, it's just not my thing. And I'm not, at the risk of sounding like some try hard, big brain Rick and Morty fan. Hey, I, I turn myself into a pickle, Morty, like at the risk of sounding like that. It's not like I need something super intellectually stimulating, but I like the depth that a lot of the Final Fantasy games have to offer. Like, what does Dragon Quest XI have to offer me as a player? Uh,
2: happiness, for one thing, John. And also, <laughs> we don't do that. I'm just curious. Look, you have been uh, on record as a defender, uh, you know, begrudgingly a defender of the Kingdom Hearts series. And so, I'm just got to say. That game literally has Mickey Mouse in it. How are you going to hate on something for having a cartoony art style?
1: (laughs) I'll tell you why. Because Mickey Mouse go hard as fuck in Kingdom Hearts. All right? And you can't tell me he don't.
2: (laughs) Mickey Mouse always reminded me of, like, the Star Wars prequels, like when Yoda randomly decided to fight where they just gave Yoda a little baby lightsaber. (laughs) He's so short that he has to jump off the walls to get tall enough to fight the person he's with.
1: Yeah, they almost fight the exact same way, too, if you watch them. Like, Mickey does the same little, like, twirling and dancing and hopping up because he's so short.
0: Not Dragon Quest 11. Why? What is it then about Dragon Quest? Like, you know, it's put you off. You've... You've not wanted to play it. I own it, and I'm the same. I spent an hour fucking around on it and went, yeah, I'm going to try this again. I had it on pre-order in you know, 2017 when it came out. I've not touched it since after that because I played something else. I moved on. So you're not that into it. Now, Derek is the the Dragon Quest uh, aficionado of the group. He, he's a guy who's played him, and, and, and he has a, a unique take on it you know he's not completely blinded by nostalgia when it comes to the franchise so derek why don't you tell john why you should play it and i'll sit here i'll let you two take over per se right and i as someone who's played some dragon quest um and who also owns the game I, i'm just kind of kind of i'm gonna judge it like i'm gonna i'm gonna see like did you give him a 10 out of 10 scenario or, or was or is this game as, as crap as john thinks it is
2: I'm going to have, like, Corey and, like, the 20 other Dragon Quest fans in our group get mad if I don't sell this as a 10 out of 10 game. But, no, um, the first thing he mentioned, though, was that the game looked too cartoonish or childlike. And I've heard that argument before, but kind of what I would describe it as is, you know, there are many stories from your childhood or many books. Like, hell, like, you know, kids at school read of mice and men like, just because something is inviting to a younger audience, just because it has an art style that might appeal to a younger audience, doesn't mean that it doesn't have depth. The thing about Dragon Quest XI is that it is supposed to be, compared to, like, Final Fantasy, it is more of a relaxed environment. It's more supposed to be about the thrill of adventure Is kind of the theme of all of those games. But that doesn't make it not complex, it just makes it to where it's accessible to many different types of people, whereas something like Near Automata might be a little more intimidating for somebody to get into, like and daunting to wrap their head around. But it, the game does have depth. Um, where Dragon Quest XI succeeds, where I think older Final Fantasies succeeded also, is that while it may have a simple main narrative it makes up for that for having complexity within its main characters this really what you're playing through is to get the story of your main party members which one thing i think the game does excellently and reminds me a lot of chrono trigger is that there are no useless party members in this game there's not a single character in your main party that doesn't have a developed plot line that doesn't have um depth when it comes to the combat in fact um Like, there is a section of the game where you play solely as each of your individual party members.
0: So what I'm getting from that is, Derek, is that you're naming other games that aren't Dragon Quest to say why Dragon Quest is good. Like, (laughs) you know, and (laughs) then you're saying, hey, look, the characters may look like Funko Pops with big tits, but (laughs) (laughs) there's complexities (laughs) there.
1: Well, in Derek's defense, because I haven't played any game in the series, he's trying to give me a, uh, something to leverage it against, some, some way to understand what this is. And I really enjoyed Chrono Trigger. Chrono Trigger I played about three months ago now, just a little bit over. Um, and I have to say, I didn't play Chrono Trigger for years. I think I, ha- I borrowed it as the kid and I just didn't play it, and I, I like I gave it back, and I didn't play it for years for the same, maybe maybe it's a basic reason, but the same basic reason I didn't play and I haven't played Dragon Quest, uh, just because of the aesthetic. It's like when I look at something like that, it just turns me off innately. Maybe I'm an asshole. Maybe I want to indulge this this like uh, cerebral side of myself just so I can look better in comparison hey. to other people.
2: Hey, hey, John. I got a question. So you really liked Chrono Trigger, right? I did. Hey, uh, who is the who is the art designer on Chrono Trigger?
1: Okay, I know they're both Akira Toriyama. <laughs> okay, but actually, you know what? That is a big reason also I didn't play Chrono Trigger forever is because I hated Toriyama's art. I only like it like kind of in the context of Dragon Ball Z. Uh, Anytime, when I'm looking at the beautifully realized sprites in Chrono Trigger, I'm like, man, this shit is amazing. Then I pause the game and open the menu. I'm like, oh, fuck, not this guy drawing again. (laughs) Why didn't he stop drawing for?
2: I actually think when it comes to Dragon Quest, his artwork works pretty well. Because like Chrono Trigger and Earthbound is another one that comes to mind. There is a lot of dark elements, especially in this um, version of the game, which I will say, if you don't like Dragon Quest XI, you're not going to like any of the other ones. I don't care what a fanboy tells you, Dragon Quest XI is objectively the best game in the series, mechanically, visually, um, plot-wise, so if you don't like this one, you ain't going to like any of them. But one of the things that his art style, I actually think, does really well is... When you look at these cutesy, you know, kind of like a Toriyama, very warm and inviting-looking character designs that almost seem childish, but then you have that art style contrasting against, you know, parts of this game where you're seeing massive amounts of death, um, horrible tragedies inflicted on people, you know, characters that you grow to love going through suffering or even dying in this game, then it's kind of like... It makes this surreal quality to the artwork where it's like watching a cartoon almost where you're dealing with some really heavy stuff, but everybody looks like cute compared to what they're feeling on the inside, if that makes
1: sense. It does. It does. All right, so I think I can get past the artwork just like I did for Chrono Trigger, so I'm willing to put that aside. Uh, what's going on gameplay-wise? Like, wh- what is the most similar game that you could think of that would represent Dragon Quest XI in terms of gameplay?
2: I'm honestly going to go back to Chrono Trigger once again, actually. So, a lot of people that know the history of the JRPG genre, they know Dragon Quest basically birthed the entire genre. So, Dragon Quest, the entire reason the series was created it was because... They wanted to make a console RPG experience that mimicked games like Ultima on the PC. So if you like Final Fantasy, if you like Chrono Trigger, if you like any JRPG, basically, it owes itself to Dragon Quest. Now, why I bring that up is because Dragon Quest XI, from gameplay to story, the deeper you get into it, feels like a subversion of the genre. And what I mean by that is that the actually changed directors for this game This is actually the youngest director of a Dragon Quest game ever, and the entire game feels like a callback to really big JRPGs that were birthed from Dragon Quest, while at the same time, plot-wise, trying to, in a weird way, punish you for knowing the JRPG formula. Like, you're playing the game, and you're like, oh, I know exactly where this is going to go. I've played this story a thousand times, and then it just throws a wrench in that, and that said, that thing that you thought was going to happen, that's not what's going to happen. But going to gameplay, Dragon Quest has always been a turn-based game. It stayed that way. Um, so, you know, wh- however you want to debate it, it is turn-based. But why I say it has a very strong hearkening to Chrono Trigger is they have the pep-up system. And what that is is characters, when they go into a critical state, they start to glow. They almost have like a DBZ look to them. But every single party member in your game has unique team attacks with every other party member. You can put any combination of characters, and all of them have a unique team attack. And there's some that are team attacks for all four of your party members, three of them, two of them. And so you really feel like you are encouraged to cycle out all the party members to try different combinations. And because of that, when you fight bosses, even though it's turn-based, the thoughts in your head aren't, okay, I'm just going to keep pressing A with my strongest attack until this thing dies. You're looking at this boss and seeing, okay, here's what their moves do. I need to switch out party members mid-battle. This turn, I'm going to play with these four characters. But when he does this attack, I'm going to switch out to party members that have higher HP stats to take this attack. And then you know, So you're constantly thinking of strategies with these characters, um, and that's why it's central that all of the party members be useful in battle
0: so when you say it's a callback to jrpgs of old and these great jrpgs are we talking games that aren't dragon quest because what what i what i what i feel with dragon quest is why it has a huge fan base and i'm gonna piss them off now uh, I really enjoyed, <laughs> listen, I really enjoyed Dragon Quest Eight. I think that game is superb. I really, really enjoyed it. But the things I didn't like about the older renditions are the first person uh, battle system that that it has, uh, which I know things like Ultima and stuff did as well. Um, and also, like, the other thing with it is when I think about truly great RPGs, even as much as I like Dragon Quest Eight, Dragon Quest does not belong on that list. For me, Sukaden belongs on the list. Even Vandal Hearts, which is a tactical, belongs on that list. Uh, some of the Star Ocean games belong on that list. Final Fantasy games belong on that list. But for me, as much as I like Dragon Quest VIII, if I was making a top 10, that's like at number 9 or 10. So when you say it's a callback to RPGs of old and classic RPG genres and, and, and the way they were, is it a callback to other games or is it callback to more Dragon Quest?
2: I'll split that question in two. So the game kind of does a little of both. So you really like dragon quest eight. Well, dragon quest 11 is actually the same system of dragon quest eight really expanded upon dragon quest 11 took some of the best elements from each of the previous entries. So for one thing, it actually is not in first person view. You actually are seeing your party and you are seeing characters interact. Um, but one thing it did is it took from games like Dragon Quest III and Dragon Quest IX the ability to make your character have a variety of different skills and abilities from multiple different trees to really customize the entire party. World exploration is similar to Dragon Quest IX where instead of random battles and having to go through you know, this hard dungeon where shit's just randomly attacking you and interrupting you, You see enemies on the screen, but there's new ways to interact with them. Now the game has mounts, and you can even mount uh, certain monsters to specifically avoid enemy attacks. Um, So it took a lot of things from the previous games. But where I mean with JRPGs of the past, like I said, Chrono Trigger, when you use the pep-up attacks, it basically feels like um, the team-based attacks that are in Chrono Trigger's design with... Games like Final Fantasy and stuff like that, the plot feels a lot similar to an older Final Fantasy genre. It see, Dragon Quest has always been known for having very simplistic plots, and when you first start up the game, that's what you think you're getting. But the game really takes conv- uh, conventions from Final Fantasy, for example, and how it does its plot, um, to really subvert what your expectations of the game are. It steals a lot from. Um, More modern games, like, um, you can tell it had an influence from some of the Persona games and that world exploration has been expanded to where you're climbing on walls, you're walking across um, little ropes, um, you're trying to break into buildings by climbing on top of other buildings and flipping around over objects. So, really, what Dragon Quest XI feels like is that they want to pay, like, honor to the genre that this series started and prove why this game series could still exist with so many modern competitors, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I think it makes perfect sense. And you're doing all this parkour stuff in Dragon Quest XI?
2: Yes. Um, So, uh, for example, the mounts. Now, when you think mount, you're thinking like a horse, which is what you get at first. But you get things such as um, there's like this little spider skeleton that you ride, and he allows you to climb up on, to- on the sides of walls and walk across scenery vertically. So you can run across ceilings. There are some, you can ride dragons that can fly and stuff like that. And so there are multiple different ways to approach dungeons and uh, the overworld. One of my favorite things about the design of this game is that there are entire dungeons where if you want to, you can just go on foot. And do it like a normal way it's just going to take longer but you can do the entire dungeon without ever having to use any gimmick but if you want to get through the dungeon faster you can take advantage of climbing up walls going through secret passageways hiding away from enemies um, in like stealth sections or you can use mounts to fly through different puzzles and stuff like that so it opens up to the player to it's like how do you want to tackle this dungeon
1: and from what I've heard about the, just the gameplay time, like just how long it takes to play the game, getting through areas and dungeons faster in certain situations seems like it would be the way to go, wouldn't it? Yes,
2: and one thing I really love about this game is because everybody talks about the 128-hour time frame. The thing about Quest XI is, I'm not going to not deny, it is a long game. However... Um, one thing that this game does really well is it lets you customize your difficulty. So if you just want to go through the story and get the basic experience, you can make this game easy as anything and stomp through the entire thing. But the game lets you customize. Do you want harder enemies? You can even make it to where the game doesn't allow you to use shops. You can make it to where the game doesn't allow you to use armor. You can set your settings to where the game won't let you gain experience from enemies that are lower level than
1: you. how. How do I do that? Is it that in like the config in the main menu?
2: It is an option that you start from the beginning of the game. So you can set the game to be as hard as you want from the start.
1: However, oh, but you can't change you, it.
2: You can change it, but it's like you can make the game easier as you go through it, but you can't make it harder again. So it's like if you set harder really? enemies, you you can turn it off during the game, but you can't turn it back on so you can't use it to like cheat out a boss
1: that's interesting that's 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 a whole different level of customization that's something that normally you would get from like outside mods like if you're playing a elder scrolls game or something right
2: yeah um and especially i highly recommend um both versions are very good but the switch version for anybody that's listening that has a switch is actually My favorite version of the game, it even includes the ability to turn the game into a SNES RPG. Like, visually, you can make the game look like it's on the SNES, and it'll even use the SNES combat system from the older games. And that option, you can actually turn on and off at will. So if you're going into a dungeon where it's like, I need this specific treasure chest, but I can't see you can turn it into 2D mode and then you can actually get a top-down perspective and see like where all the treasure chests are laid out and stuff like that. But the trade-off is you get random battles if you go into an SNES version.
0: So that sounds interesting to me. So that, so I own it for the the PS4 because like I said, I pre-ordered it and I, I didn't get into it. I didn't have time. I also have a switch. So the idea of being able to switch obviously that's the gimmick right between the old (laughs) mode and the new mode to me that sells me more than the assassin's creed shit that you spoke about previously with climbing and all that stuff right i can get that from assassin's creed they've been doing it for a long time they probably do it better than anyone else however the ability to switch from classic to that um that is something that i'm like okay so that is a, a tick you know maybe the art style uh, isn't great um and maybe yeah that stuff you know the climbing and shit is stuff i can get from assassin's creed but even with final fantasy i can't switch back to uh, a snes version of the game you know
1: especially if there are certain dungeons or areas of the game that require you to do that like, I love it when a game really makes you think outside of the box, especially when it comes to getting a reward or solving a puzzle, anything optional. I love things like that. So if there are areas in the game where you're actually required to go into 2D so that you can see something that you can't see in the 3D mode, uh, that is amazing. But that you said that's Switch exclusive, so I can't do that on the PS4.
2: You can't do it on the PS4. Uh, it is Switch exclusive. Um because what happened was, in Japan, there is actually a 3DS version of Dragon Quest XI, which it was the entire game made to look like an SNES game. The Switch version combines both of those versions. Um, and one thing that's cool, if you, for any of our listeners that want to get the Switch version, is the 2D mode does have exclusive dungeons. In fact, the true secret final boss of the game cannot be fought in that version, unless you go into these quests where... Basically, in the 2D version, you can go inside this world that's only accessible that way and you play through dungeons from the first 10 Dragon Quest games to collect these items that you use to fight the new boss that they basically made for that version. But if we're talking about the PS4, yes, Dragon Quest XI is not going to do Assassin's Creed as good as Assassin's Creed, but it also doesn't have to. What the game really does a good job of is saying here is all this new stuff that's new to the series that we're kind of taking from more modern gaming, but you do not have to do it. Like there is one parkour section that's required, and that's only to teach you the parkour stuff. But later on in the game, you really do not have to use it. You can play the entire game without using it, but you have that option. So instead of like the game forcing you to use the mechanics you don't like – you just know okay i could tackle this situation this way or i could use the parkour system or the mounts to get around this problem without dealing with it this way
0: okay so what i'm getting from being able to switch back like that back and forth um reminds me of what we saw in uh legacy of kane's soul reaver with raziel where he had the ability to go into his wraith form And then you would see the level in a different way. While the level looked the same, there were certain doors and certain parts of the game that you could only go through in that form. But also in the real life, you know, reality, the real world, there were certain things that you could only do there. And apart from that game, apart from Soul Reaver, I've not seen anyone else try and attempt to do that until what you're describing here.
2: Yeah, and it and it even changes combat, because if you play Dragon Quest Eleven, it is a turn-based combat system, but it's not like you select your four characters' turns and then wait for things to happen, like Dragon Quest Eight. It is your four party members that are currently on screen. As characters take turns, you are allowed to react. So let's say I take a turn with a character, then the opponent, one of the opponents, takes their turn. Instead of me having pre-selected options, then my next character gets to pick an option. And so it allows you to make strategies on the fly as opposed to having to preemptively prepare for stuff to happen. You're allowed to react in real time. But if you change it to the SNES-looking version, it makes it a harder combat system because you have random encounters. And then you have to play with the older system where it's like every character chooses their move before the turn actually starts and you just live with the consequences. So it makes you think. It's like, do I want to take on this boss this way or do I want to take him on that way?
1: All right. <clears throat> so now I'm going to challenge you a little bit, Derek, you ready for this?
2: I'm ready for it, John.
1: All right. Let's go back to the, the average runtime of the game. You said 128 hours. Was that correct?
2: That's it with doing extra content. I actually, when I was just trying to get a feel for the game, I played it more than once. Um, Whenever I play RPGs that I'm excited for and I want to get the story and what the general experience is, I try to quick play it. It only it took me about eighty, I think.
1: Eighty. Okay. So okay. So eighty isn't bad, but that's the bare minimum you do if you're going fast and you already know the game. So for maybe for me, it might be like ninety hours. Is that fair to say? Yes. Um, and- okay. So can you tell a compelling story? in 90 hours the the better question would be do, how padded out is it is and, it 50 um, hours of compelling story or am i allowed to am i
2: allowed to do spoilers for a game that's kind of a uh, couple four years old like i don't yeah go ahead. I, i'm trying to be vague about it because there are a lot of plot elements that i feel like you're going to want to experience for the first time there but how the game tells its story is really well done in that it feels like a structure. One of the things that I loved about Dragon Quest XI is that I never at any time was wondering what I was supposed to be doing. The game always has a clear goal for you in mind in each section of the game, and it breaks up into parts. So the first part of the game is you're feeling like a traditional Dragon Quest. You are this chosen hero. you got to go defeat this guy. And so you're gathering a little ragtag group um, to try to go beat this guy. Now, one thing I really like about how it did this time is that people aren't just like, oh, you're the chosen one. We like each other now. No, your party members fight with each other. Some of them don't trust you. Some of them don't like you. But it's kind of like for the greater good, they're going to work with you. And then, so like we said, we don't care about spoilers. Is that what we kind of clarified? Not,
0: yeah. not too much.
2: Okay. Okay. And I'm not going to spoil the very ending, but I feel like... So midway through the game, you get to the conflict. You're like, you've been prepped for this. You are the hero. You are the guy. You are the chosen JRPG dude. And you get your fucking ass kicked. You lose. You lose really badly to the point that you cause the apocalypse to happen in the entire world. Like Cities are destroyed. Monsters now outnumber people. The sky is black, like entire civilizations have been destroyed because of you, because you lost. And then the second part of the game, it starts with you playing as each of your individual party members experiencing what this world is like. And then when you come back, you actually don't have your supernatural abilities anymore. You don't have your chosen one powers. You're just a dude with a sword now. Um And you discover that one of the characters that you least expect, I won't spoil who it is, has become the new hero of this world. A character that you didn't think was going to be important. He's the hero now. You lost. This is the guy that's actually defending humanity. And so the second portion of the game is basically like an Avengers-type storyline where it's like, we got our fucking asses kicked. This is where the Final Fantasy reference comes in. I'm sure you've put together where it's like, We got the world destroyed. Let's go kick the shit out of the guy that did it. And then the third part of the game. So those two sections only take about 67 hours. And you quote unquote beat the game. And this is a spoiler. And some people that played the game might not even realize that this is a thing. Um, So if you have gotten to this point and didn't know this, restart your game. The game ends. You go back to the load screen. If you click on your save file after you have completed that game, You go into the third section of the game that's actually 30 hours long where you get the option to go back in time and prevent yourself from ever losing that fight in the first place. But a lot of stuff that was good that happened will be reversed or continue the timeline that you've already created.
0: Yeah, so I am getting that that Avengers uh, sort of element and obviously Final Fantasy VI, the world of ruin, where you technically lose and the world is fucked as a result of you losing and then now it's time for you to find all your old party mates and put them all, put the band back together again to go and win uh but one thing i just and it was something i thought of as you were talking about this kind of like you know you go and collect this guy you go and collect that guy like at the beginning of all rpgs um and it was just like you know where does that come from where they started this collection of Ragtag individuals, and the first thing that came to mind was the Seven Samurai movie, which is also in the Magnificent Seven was a directive of that as well, and then the Water Margin books, which is an old Chinese book where these like people come together to fight off like this sort of empire and stuff. But it's a it's technically a JRPG trope, but that bringing these seven or eight people together for a cause that never. Um, never really have there's no reason other than to beat the cause that they would you would never put them together it, the straight away seven samurais what comes to mind in that
2: yeah it's got a strong feeling like that and one thing that i think is strengthened because the game seems to be aware that the old school way of doing jrpgs where we just run into seven dudes and they join us and we go on an adventure that that's you know Kind of a cliche It's not we want more motivation behind that. And one thing I think Dragon Quest XI does excel in better than any other game in the series. And I know there are some Dragon Quest fans that will fight me on that is the party members motivations are way stronger. So you have a silent protagonist. He is a guy that's supposed to be a hero. Now, he does go through conflict because he lost and he has to go through that kind of journey. But your party members all have very developed backstories, motivations to be there. And that's why I said it's so important, the sections of the game where you play solely as them. In the second part of the game where you have to get the band back together, it is like each party member gets an hour and a half quest to find out where they were, what's their backstory, and help them come to a resolution before the big second battle.
1: Okay, I like that the side characters have that, that they are well-developed. I like that a lot. Actually, the silent protagonist is something I wasn't a fan of in Chrono Trigger, just to bring it back to CT for a second. Uh, it's not that I, I don't like it as a method of storytelling, but it's, it always feels like something's off. It's like, you're supposed to put yourself in the shoes of this character and this character could be a stand in for you, the player but they they have like their own life like chrono has his mom and you you can bring all your friends to meet like chrono's mom and she has something funny to say to all of them but like i'm like that's not my life so the the silent protagonist is always like a half one foot in one foot out
0: yeah i find that with jrpgs they kind of do that the worst right out of all the genres if you were to look at um the older scrolls you are the silent protagonist but you create that character yourself you decide what kind of stats he has what birth sign he's born under even when it comes down to like where you go next you don't go let's follow the story you can just fuck off and do your own thing um and and also like because of the way the dialogue is done in in the elder scrolls for example like you have multiple options that you can select to to define your character
1: not only that, and this might be a small thing, but it's in first person. You have the option to switch to third person, but usually you play in first person, right? Yeah. So, Derek, thing... what would you have to say about the silent protagonist in Dragon Quest XI? Do you feel like that was done better? Is it like kind of the same?
2: I think it was done better for one major reason, because I, uh, you know, I love Dragon Quest and stuff, but I'm actually not a fan of most silent protagonists either and i will say if for you and anybody else if the silent protagonist is a hang-up for you Dragon quest 11 might still give you something none of the other ones are going to i will just go be blunt right there if you hate silent protagonists you're not gonna like the other ones but this one does something unique with them so it's kind of like i call it superman syndrome where it's like the character isn't a character as much as it's a thing to be stopped or a thing to like look up to. You're silent protagonist in this game outside of the first section where you're playing as him. He is this chosen legendary hero. You find that out from the get-go of the game. So how he's used is that you're seeing characters how they react to him. For example, the first party member you get, his name is Eric. He is a thief. Um, he is a criminal. But he meets this sage who basically tells him, if you want to redeem your soul, basically, you have to find the legendary hero and you got to protect him. And when you first meet him, the silent protagonist is used in a way where it's like, you're really not latching onto the protagonist as much as you're watching Eric try to keep this kid from dying. Like, he's like, you're the guy that's supposed to save the world. I got to keep you from getting killed. So he's basically trying to get you through this dungeon. There's like a dragon attacking you and he's just pushing you over cliffs and he's like, we gotta go hide from these bad guys don't and that's how every character interacts with the hero it's more about your party members relationships with this ideal idea of this chosen hero like teaching him about the world and protecting him and getting him where he's supposed to be like that's why when you lose the fight you lose control of your silent protagonist and you play as your party members and they're having to react to the fact that the dude we spent all this time saving, he he has gone. We lost. Like, what do we do now?
1: So that's another good subversion, right, in terms of the chosen the chosen hero archetype. Like if you play a game like Final Fantasy 15, from the moment you play as Noctis, you are immediately the most powerful thing going on in the nearest area. Like your three friends around you, two of which are well versed in combat they they can't even hold a candle to you. You know what I mean? So the fact that you as a chosen one are kind of being more protected, uh, if I interpreted you correctly, is in, an interesting yeah. subversion. But what about villains? How are the antagonists? Do they have a, a, a plausible reason as to why they'd be trying to destroy the world or enslave the world? Or is it just like another, oh, I'm a crazy JRPG villain?
2: So... I will say Dragon Quest has never been a series built off of amazing villains. I will, there are two major antagonists in this game. One of them is named Mordigan. He functions a lot more similarly to older Dragon Quest antagonists where he's just kind of like this evil monstrous kind of like supernatural deity that's trying to destroy the planet. He is more of a force to be stopped. It's kind of like, There's a parallel there where it's like the hero thing that we must protect, this thing, this guy is the guy we got to stop. And so the party members, you're really seeing like how do the party members react to this thing that needs to be stopped and this thing they need to protect. But then you have Jasper, which he has been the anime pretty boy that all the fangirls like that's come out of this game. But he's actually got an interesting story. His story is without spoiling like what he does in the plot he with another character that's very important to the plot we're both raised in this kingdom he is kind of a weakling he's good at magic he's good at being clever he's good at being crafty he's good at spells the guy his brother basically is a warrior he's strong he is courageous he's the guy with the sword and the shield that everybody sees as a typical hero And so Jasper has always been put down because his skills have never been as valued as his brothers, basically. Mm -hmm. So then when Mordigan, who's this guy that the force to be stopped, when he comes up to him and says, hey, I use magic, too. And I can make a world where your abilities are what people will worship. I'll make your abilities something people will champion. So Jasper is kind of an inverse where he's like, he's this guy that nobody's ever respected. And so his entire motivation is I'm gonna create a world where it doesn't matter how strong you are, I my talent
1: to the protagonist, you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like that. That's interesting. And actually, since you since you mentioned that, it's almost it's similar to now Final Fantasy X in two different ways. The first way being that you kinda have this big force of nature that needs to be stopped, but you have a more interesting secondary protagonist. The second way it's similar is that if you actually look at Final Fantasy X, if you really look at Titus and Seymour, <clears throat> Seymour is an inversion of Titus. Okay, They both have famous fathers uh, whose footsteps they had to follow in. They both hated their fathers, but Seymour actually went so far as to kill his dad, Jisco Guado, and take over his position. And he, he went off the other way, whereas Titus uses his hate for his father at, as an impetus to help save the world. So I like that. I See, like that a lot with the interesting secondary protagonist. And I'm going to do a spoiler.
2: Yeah. No, no, you're good. I just had to get this out for, the, for what you just said. I got to get the spoiler out. I promise I won't give context to how this happens because the context okay. is more interesting than the event. But like I said, Jasper is the inverse of the protagonist. The protagonist, the second you find out he's the chosen one, everybody's like, hey, it's the chosen one, kind of. There's a, everybody that knows that the chosen one is a good guy, because that's the inverse that this plot does too, is that the majority of the world has been taught that the chosen hero is actually the harbinger of death. Because what some people say is like, okay, well, the big bad, guy, the hero only appears when the big bad guy comes, right? So if the hero never appears, then that big bad guy will never show up. So they kind of look at the chosen hero as like an agent of death. <laughs> like, like right. oh, he's here. That means the bad guy's here too. Um, but everybody that knows that he's a good guy, they look at him and they're like, oh, we got to protect him. He's great. He's the hero. Jasper's the opposite. Jasper's talented. He can do magic. He can do things nobody can do. But nobody gives a shit about him. And it's actually (laughs) not the main antagonist that beats you. When you lose that fight and doom the world, it's Jasper that beats you, not the real main antagonist. Jasper finally proves I am stronger than everybody said because I just kicked the shit out of the chosen hero of this world.
0: Is Jasper as cool as totally not cliche clown villain Dolmagus?
2: Oh, Jasper's way more in depth than Domegas. For one thing, he's not played for laughs. Like, Jasper. One thing I like that Dragon Quest XI did with both him and Mordigan is if you've ever played a Dragon Quest game outside of, like, two villains, they're all like, he, 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 he. I'm going to pollute this lake! Or some shit that like that. That was a great, um,
1: great Kefka laugh. <laughs>
2: but, like, um, but. Jasper, you look at him at the beginning of the game, you think he's a good guy. Like, his dialogue, he talks like a hero. Like, his voice actor was even chosen specifically to sound like a good guy. Like, he's presented as, like, supposed to be cool and, like, in control and commanding. And what's funny is the more control he starts to lose, and the more closer to his defeat he gets, that's when he actually starts to sound insane. Is because he's finally losing. And then Mortigan who is your comical, you know, forced-to-be-stopped monster guy, he actually speaks calmly. He doesn't do evil laughs. He doesn't do, like, you know, weird voices. He's got a deep voice, and he's, like, in control. He's like, this is my plan. This is what I'm going to do. Like, it's just he lacks depth, and that's, I feel like later on, if you want, I can get into a section where I'll say, I'll list some things that's, like, if you don't like these things, you're not going to like this game. (laughs) Like, um, at least at okay. full price. I'll
1: put Let it me way. ask you, alright, so we can even go off of that now a little bit. Let me ask you, what did you not like about the game? Is there anything that you would tell me right now, John, don't buy this game because?
2: Um, so I, I'm gonna, I am a fanboy. I liked pretty much everything about this game. The only thing I didn't like is that, you know how you can customize your difficulty Right. You pretty much always are going to have to select harder enemies because if you do not customize your difficulty to that, this game is super easy. There is no reason that you shouldn't be able to stomp through every boss without ever – I mean, I've seen people beat the entire game if they don't increase their difficulty um, without ever, like, fighting random battles. Um, and so – One thing I feel like is that its difficulty is not on par with other Dragon Quests, but you can customize it to be that way. But I will list that objectively, because I'm friends with Final Fantasy fans, I'm friends with people that play more Western RPGs, I can list some things that I'm like, these are going to be your kiss of death if you don't like. So, for example... There are a ton of plots that there are a ton of side plots, especially because, like I said earlier, you get the option to go back in time and going back in time will revert some of those side quests you've completed. Some characters actually will not get their growth as characters if you go back in time because the events never happen. Um, And but there's things like, for example, there's a side quest with a mermaid who fell in love with a dude. The dude was treated like he was a monster because he fell in love with a mermaid. And so the village exiled him and he died alone. The mermaid thought that this dude abandoned her and you reunite him with her her with his grave. Now, that's the thing. Dragon Quest is supposed to be more almost Disney-like. It's supposed to be kind of like timeless and use a lot of things that even a child could understand but if you listen to that side quest and you're like, that sounds stupid as shit. That's I do not want to see a curatorial mermaid love story.
1: Um, no, something, yeah. something some I will say is that, uh, sorry to cut you off, but I <laughs> no, really like it when a story is able to engender these feelings of tragedy and emotion within you with a, like a, Rated E title. Or what is it? Rated E? Rated T? Something like that? Yeah, oh,
2: so well, well, this one's rate
1: T so Rated T. Gambling. So Rated T. But that's still... That's accessible. Like, you know, I mean, like I, I was playing like Rated T games when I was like eight. You know what I mean? So it's, it's accessible. And I, 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 th- I appreciate a story much more when it doesn't have to be gratuitous with, it, with its darker themes. If it's able to go light with it, but still give you, give you the same emotion... It does more
2: and it's kind of like there's a character and i will not spoil who because that's the major plot twist but you actually do have a party member that dies and when you go back in time you are given the option to bring them back to life if you go back in time but if you don't that character's just dead they do not come back uh another character does inherit their abilities but like for example when that character dies you know the impact and emotion that characters feel doesn't it come from her or him having like this terrible, agonizing death. It comes from watching characters that cared about her, like at the funeral, for example, one of the sections of the game is just walking through the funeral. And as the protagonist, since you have no personality of your own, you're just going there to console your party members who are mourning and watching them mourn. Um, and so that's kind of what Dragon Quest does is it's like, a world the child could access, but depth underneath. Um, but more stuff that if you don't like it, you will not like it in this game. Uh, if you don't like turn-based combat, this game does have a really good turn-based combat system, but if you have never liked turn-based combat and you don't think you ever will, this game is not going to win you over. This will not be the game that suddenly makes you like turn-based combat whatsoever.
1: Well, I, I like turn-based combat. I mean, that's what I grew up on, I think that's what we all kind of grew up on, playing RPGs. I mean, action RPGs are more emergent than that. They've been around for a while now, but they're still developing, and now that's that's what's really popular. So being from a different time, I can appreciate the turn-based ba- turn combat. I might even uh, pr- uh, prefer it to some of the more recent titles that I've played. Because uh, it gives you a second to kind of think about what you want to do, and it forces you to actually think and make every move count. Uh, rather than just move on instinct. Um, but, I think I, I'm a little bit more convinced now to get this game. Uh, is, is it still full price, do you know? It's three um, years on old. The
2: PS, on the PS4, it's not. It's actually cheaper on the PS4. If you get it for the Switch, it's full price, because it only came out in the last year. I do have... A third one, but it's not for you or Sam, because I know you two aren't this type of audience. But I have seen um, people in our group that have been interested in playing the game as a waifu simulator. Uh, Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm going to tell you, Dragon Quest from its first entry has always had a theme of family. So if you were going into this game because you saw a girl that you wanted to bang or marry as your waifu well first of all the ps4 version only lets you marry one chick um because it's a chick that has almost as no personality as the protagonist Uh, but the switch version does let you marry every character but if you're going into this as a waifu game there's only a few scenes and it's stuff like they hold hands and it's like they oh my
1: god not that anything but that
2: they get married and have a family there. So if you are going into this game because you think Jade is hot or something like that, I'm just going to be real with you. There's not really a, the only sexual element to the game is that her character can do attacks to charm the enemies, but even them, they're like almost E rated. Like no, there's not really a big romance plot to this game. And I have seen people trying to buy this game as that's your selling point. Well, I'm sorry to tell you that. The game doesn't really focus on that
1: at all.
0: Okay. If people want to bang Jade, right? They need <laughs> to go and see a fucking psychiatrist. We're talking a, a girl with big tits, obviously, like, you know, that's thrown out there, but with the face of a child's doll. She's a so cartoon
2: see, see, this is what frustrates me, too, about the guys that really wanted to bang Jade in the game. So, spoiler alert for anyone who's never played the game. Jade's backstory is that when your kingdom as a kid was destroyed, you were a prince that it's like a story of Moses. Like your kingdom got destroyed. Your dad got killed in battle and your mom ran out with you and Jade as children. Do
0: you like it? (laughs) Yeah. Jews.
2: Um, but, um, (laughs) she basically is about to get killed. Your mom's about to get killed by a monster. She literally Moses puts you in a basket and floats you on a river but she also rescues Jade, who is basically, like, pretty much a relative. Like, Jade even specifically says in the game, if you try to romance her, she's like, dude, I'm like your sister. Like, and um, and it, it, the game even makes it awkward if you try to romance her. So all these dudes that are really into banging Jade in this game are probably the same people that like Final Fantasy VIII.
0: would you say? I'd imagine it is the same people that like Final Fantasy VIII and that with the Final Fantasy VIII side of it, like that kind of weird incest guys, like you might have yeah. just sold them on it there. You might have actually sold them on this game. They might be listening. Oh, I don't want to play. Oh, you get to bang your sister? Well, I'm all in. I'm going now 10 out of 10. This is the best game I've ever played. So I want to think about this, right? in, I think you've done a good job at selling us on it in all honesty. So what I'd like to do is for me and John now to like both rape your, uh, your, you know, how, how we now feel about the game after what you've told us, Derek, is that okay?
2: That's completely fine. Hopefully I won't get an evil message from Corey about how I
1: didn't rep the series. Right. Derek,
0: well, I, I think you will anyway,
1: Derek, you <laughs> consent to us rating you. Yes. Okay. Just objectify
2: me.
1: Um, From my perspective, uh, I liked Derek's explanation. Um, I think he brought up some really cool things that are important to me. Uh, This genre has been around now for decades. So it is important for the newer games that come out in these classic series to expand their boundaries and to, build on what they've created as well as subvert and undermine and destroy some of what they've created and some of their legacy just so that they can continue to challenge themselves and it feels to me like this game does that as per Derek's explanation I really like the idea of the character Jasper I feel like uh when I play this game this is going to be somebody that I like he's kind of an underdog he he gets a chance and then you know, he lives long enough to see himself become the villain, right, in Dark Knight terms. So yeah. I think, and especially if it's cheaper now on the PlayStation Store, uh, I think I'm going to check it out. Again, we all have plenty of time.
0: Yeah, like, um, you know, I'm more interested in it than I was. I'll, I'll say that. And I... But one thing that comes to mind, and, it, and it, maybe it's something I can't get out, out of my head, is the art style. And the reason... The reason the art style bothers me isn't because i hate toriyama's art style um i've played other dragon quest games before and so you know i have no issue with the art style technically um i'm a huge dragon ball fan as well but something that happened dragon ball just appears way more gritty than dragon quest does like for me there's a certain way the characters look in dragon ball especially through fighting, and sh- you see them roughed up, you see them bloodied, you see them with black eyes with cuts, and their clothes ripped and stuff. Whereas from my past experience with with Dragon Quest, you never see that, and that might change with this one. Um, but there is something weird about adult themes with such childish-looking characters. Like there is still something strange there. However, I think majoritively speaking. What you have said today, Derek, has made me go, I already own it. I'm going to give it a go. So that's where I'm kind of feeling with this. And that's kind of where I'm at with it. I actually think that more so than before we started, I want to play this game. So with that said, Derek, right, and with uh, both myself and John kind of being one over more than I thought I was. I actually might go play it as soon as we're done. I might actually go, fuck it. I've got it. I might just go check it out or I might get it on the switch and, and do that. So, so with that said, you know, what's your final, your final word on like, you know, we both are more likely to play it now than we were before. What's your, what's your little final thing about the game?
2: Um, so first of all, I wanna say I didn't think I'd convince you guys to try it. So I'm super pumped about that. Um, and for you and anyone listening, I will say, at the very least, trying out this game, you'll get a taste of the series and you'll pretty much know whether it's a thing for you. I've met plenty of people that played this game and then wanted to try the other one. So give it a try. It's super accessible um, and you can see if the series is for you. And just to mention your art style thing for any listeners that don't know, I'm actually a dad. I have three kids and the art style I understand that for some people it might be a turnoff, but you also got to keep in mind, for me, this was a game that I could play with my son. This was a game that my son could watch, understand, like the darker elements and the bigger plot twists. He was able to wrap his head around them and think about them, too. Um, In Japan, Dragon Quest is kind of like Disney movies. Families play these games together. So just keep that in mind that this series, more than other JRPGs, is supposed to be that any age can pick up the game but i really hope somebody you know picks it up and at least feels like you know they got a good experience out of it
0: yeah i mean it, for me like you 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 you've persuaded me like and it's not that i wouldn't play it i've owned it i bought it i was looking forward to it and i just couldn't quite bring myself to play it and spend sink the time into it but now now i feel like i want to um, and speaking of sinking time into things, and more so, sinking my balls into your mouth. Thank you for for <laughs> listening because you've allowed us all to virtually sink our balls into your mouths while you're listening. You might not know this. This might not be something you've ever thought about. But every time you listen to a podcast, someone is someone's playing the Arabian goggles with you, and you just don't know it. You're getting teabagged. So again, this is something new. We, we're going to do more of these kind of like. Why should we? play why should we watch why should we look at this why should we no longer be um racist you know we're not going to do that one because none of us are racist but we could do so (laughs) anything like that anything like you know, that sort of thing we're going to do more of. So I just want to say, thank you for listening. This is something new for us. It's something that we've done, you know, please come back and listen to the square post and episodes the this guy's sick episodes, the interview stuff that I've been doing with people. I've got a rap episode. It's going to come out any day after this one does. So it's, it's going to be there. It's going to be ready for you to listen to. So yeah, I'm Sam Valentine. Thanks for listening.
1: I'm looking forward to that rap episode, by the way, I've seen a few of his animations on YouTube Uh, He's gotten a lot better, especially in recent days. Some of his stuff is definitely worth checking out, and it's always a nice, healthy chunk of time. So that's Rabtoons on YouTube. We are square posting on Facebook. My name is John McMahon or John Belmont on Facebook because I can't have people from my uh, real-life interactions seeing what the fuck I'm up to, talking about sinking balls (laughs) into people's mouths and shit of that nature. But from our Facebook group, I do have the top 10 contributors for the past 30 days, and I'm going to rattle them off real quick, give them a quick shout out because uh, they deserve it, I think, if they've wasted this much of their time in our group. Uh, I, Lord knows they don't deserve much else. Number one, we got Neon DeGrill, a good friend of ours, a.k.a. Lucha John. Uh, 69 posts. All right, nice. Real Nice. nice. Uh, Then we got Darian Millen at number two, Chris Whitehouse, number three. Number four is Stephen Williford. Uh, Five, Sophie Almaguer, Almaguer, Sophie, Sophie, Sophie at number five. (laughs) Then we got number six is William Patterson. Then number seven is our good buddy, Corey. Number eight, Doug Brent. The the shit poster, the literal shit poster. Uh, And if you guys don't know what we're talking about, check out the group. You'll you'll make sense of it pretty quick. Number nine, Ben Page and all the way at number 10. Last but not least, Stuart Patterson. Good guy. Good guy. Been with us since the beginning. Yeah. So those are our top 10 contributors for the month. And uh, all of our friends and all of our members on the Facebook group and all of our listeners, uh, thank you very much. Derek, anything else you uh, want to talk about? Any news?
2: Well, um, I just had two things. One, uh, our good good friend of the show, for both of the Sky or Sick and Square posting, Night Sky Prince, has actually made some really good theory videos that have come out recently. Definitely check them out. You know, um, he's made some really in-depth videos about the future of Final Fantasy 7-R, but also he did a post recently to determine non-Square Enix games that he's going to start covering. And I think um, Persona was one of them, and I think Tales of was on there. So he's about to expand his content, so make sure to go check him out. And also for Square Posting, our good friend Eugene is running the best villain of Square Enix tournament. Um, It's really well thought out. He's got pretty much the most diverse tournament in terms of series that we've ever had in this group. Um, So definitely look forward to that. He's going to be posting those in the next few days. And uh, thank you to everybody that supports us.